Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. So today we're up to part four, but I'm uh, going to drop the title A Month of Prayer because I do want to carry this into uh, next month. Uh, next month is a busy month. Uh, we've got Father's Day next weekend. Woot, woot. So that's going to be a... Um, a really, really uh, great day. It's one of our big days in the house. Uh, Going to honour our dads uh, next Sunday uh, before they go home and have lunch and receive a card with a Bunnings voucher in it. Um, and then uh, <laughs> uh, we've got uh, state conference, a whole bunch of stuff happening during, uh, during the, uh, the month of September. So it is going to be a busy month. And, and I just want to continue after Father's Day just... just punching into this topic of prayer because it really is critical. I want to continue to reinforce it. Last time we began looking at a particular prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And uh, I posed this question last time, and it's an important question for every single one of us to ask. What is my motivation for prayer? Uh, if I'm sitting awkwardly in a group and the only thing that I can think to pray for is my granduncle's cat, uh, I, I, I really don't know how to pray. What is my motivation for prayer? Because as, as our faith matures, as we come, become stronger in Christ, as we deepen our relationship with Christ, that should be reflected in our prayer life. I think the more, spiritually, the more spiritually mature we become, the less we discover life is actually less about me and more about him. And again, we should see that reflected in our praying. So what's our motivation for prayer? Is the motivation for prayer that God would just make my life a little bit easier? Or is my motivation for prayer that God... My prayer, the prayer from my heart is that you would move sovereignly in and through my life to bring about your purpose. Paul writes these words, as we looked at last time in Ephesians 1 and 3. We have been blessed in uh, the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So he's told the Ephesians, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have everything that you need. So with that basis, he goes on to pray for them. Picking it up at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is what he's praying for. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and all his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Man, that's a prayer. Now we started to unpack it last time and we discovered that Paul is not actually asking that they would receive something. And how much of our prayer life is God, give me, give me, give me, that I would receive something. Because he's just told them, actually you've got everything you need, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ and he's actually praying that they would know something. And there's four things we discover in this prayer that he is asking. One, that you may know him better, that you may know Christ better. So the, the, the understanding here is that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have everything you need. So here's what, I pray, what I'm praying. You actually need to know Jesus better in order to know the spiritual blessing that you have in him. Uh, I'd say it was probably maybe 18 years ago. Um, I was preparing for a sermon and I wanted to use a long quote from a book. And I've got the book and I'm typing this long quote into my sermon notes. And I was thinking to myself, man, I wish there was a program that I could scan this page and have it recognize the text and just drag the text into... Uh, my document. Um, I'm not sounding like a grandfather here. This is 18 years ago, so the computers weren't quite as sophisticated as they are today. But then when I began to look at the settings on the scanner, I actually realized that it could do just that. And so the lesson for me right there was not I needed something new. I needed a new program. The lesson was I just needed to understand what the computer could already do. And this is what Paul is saying. You've got every spiritual blessing and what you need to discover is what those spiritual blessings are. And in order to discover what those spiritual blessings are, you need to get to know Jesus better. So that was point one. The second thing is that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The third thing is that you may know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and then number four, that you might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, we spent all of last week just looking at, um, at point number one. Uh, and we're going to look at the final three today. I think the, the reason or part of the reason why we spent a whole week just on point one is that the other three points actually flow out of point one, which was getting to know Jesus better. So today we'll look at the final three. Uh, Ephesians 1 and 8, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now that word hope is a really interesting word. It's a frequent word that we find in the New Testament, but it's not a word that we talk about a lot. Uh, I mean, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 says, and now these three remain, faith, Hope and love. We talk a lot about faith. We talk a lot about love. We don't talk nearly as much about hope. 
And maybe one of the reasons for that is it's, maybe it's a little bit hard to define. It's a little bit too vague. Paul also writes in Romans 5 and 2, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 1 and 10, On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Colossians 1 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is hope in this context? Well, let me define it by telling you what it's not. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's not about wishing for things that they would come true because it would be really, really convenient for me. Well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope I get a pay rise. I hope uh, when I go downtown to do the shopping that I'll find a good car park. Hope is not wishful thinking. The context of this passage, uh, I think the word hope can be best translated as confident expectation. Confident expectation. And Paul is saying there are two elements to hope. There is a present element and there is a future element. And maybe the future element is something that we understand a little clearer. We have a hope beyond this life. We live with a confident expectation. We live with a hope that I am an eternal being. And when this life is over, I will spend eternity with God. That's not wishful thinking. That is a confident expectation. It is a hope. It's a future hope. And hope is all about perspective in this context. Friends, a good question to ask ourselves, do I live my life through the lens of that confident expectation? With a confident expectation, with a hope that I am an eternal being and when this life is over, I will spend eternity with God. Do I live from that perspective? Do I live from an eternal perspective? Friends, we should be as Christians because living with an eternal perspective actually brings everything else into perspective. So there is that future element to hope, but there's also a present element to hope. And in the present context, we think about it as confidence in the now. I have confidence right now. But it's determined by what we place our hope in. What do we place our hope in? What do we place our confidence in? Because we will either place our confidence in things that are good or we'll place our confidence in things that are bad. For example, in 1 Timothy 6 and 17, Paul's instruction, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And in this context, he's talking about material things. He's talking about wealth. Don't put your hope in material things. This is a great lesson for us. Don't put your hope in material things themselves. Put your hope in God and He promises He will give us everything that we need. So hope in this context is a confidence of something, uh, in something outside of ourselves. What are you trusting outside of your own resources? He says to Timothy, man, if it's wealth, be really, really careful. It'll let you down. It'll disappoint you. But if you put your hope, if you have that confidence in God, He will not disappoint you. 
So we are to live with eternal hope, that future perspective. We live with an eternal perspective to live with a confident expectation of the promises of God coming to pass. And we orientate our lives around the fact that the here and the now is not all there is. Again in verse 8, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And hope, not just the future hope, but hope is the confidence that we live with now. Our confidence being in God, not rooted in the things of this world. And it's a great challenge for all of us. Hope is about living with an eternal perspective. Simply put, it means we live now on the earth, but we live with heaven in mind. We live from a spiritual perspective. The third thing he prays is that they would know this. Again, Ephesians 1 and 8, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And as I read this passage over and over again and begun to dig into it, something really struck me. Now, maybe I'm just slow on the uptake, I don't know. But I've never noticed how this phrase in this passage is worded differently. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, we often think about the inheritance we have in God. Matthew 25 and 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the uh, creation of the world. So we understand our inheritance in him, but in this passage today, the wording is changed, that you may know the riches of his, his glorious inheritance, God's inheritance in the saints. And you've got to get a hold of this. Not only is Paul saying we have an inheritance in him, but God has an inheritance in us. And Paul is praying that, guys, you've got to realize this is not a one-sided relationship. Not only do we have an inheritance in him, he has an inheritance in us. And again, I think we understand our inheritance in him. But what does it mean for Jesus to have an inheritance in us? I want you to grab a hold of this today because this will be a great encouragement and I think it's a really inspiring thought. Here's what it means. When you came to Christ, you received an inheritance. But so did Jesus. When you became a Christian, Jesus says, great, I've received an inheritance. Another pair of hands for me to work through. Another pair of hands for me to reach out with. Another pair of feet for me to walk with. Another mouth for me to speak with. Another heart for me to love through. And friends, Jesus has an inheritance in you. Does that make sense? And here's the challenge. I challenge you to wake up in the morning and ask yourself and ask God this question. Okay, Lord, what is the inheritance that you have in me today? God, I want you to have your full inheritance in me today. I am fully available for your purposes, fully available for your agenda. And can I tell you guys, that's the most exciting way to live. 
Now, this is a small thing, but I think it's really significant. Paul talks about his glorious inheritance. Gives it a, a great ag- adjective before it. It's not just an inheritance. Oh, great, there's another one. But to God, you are a glorious inheritance. You are a glorious inheritance. We see that reflected in our uniqueness. He's given you a unique personality. He's given you unique gifts, unique interests, unique talents, unique likes and dislikes, a unique temperament. And let me say, God loves that about you. Stop comparing yourselves to other people because to God you are a glorious inheritance. He has made you to be you and he delights in that. You're a glorious inheritance. And Paul says, I'm praying that you will know this, that you are his inheritance. That you will realize that the whole relationship is not just, well, I've got an inheritance in Jesus. That's absolutely fantastic. But it's also that Jesus has an inheritance in you and he thinks that that's fantastic and he calls it glorious. And then the final thing, he says that you may know his power. Reading from verse 19, that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now that's a really wordy passage, but let's unpack it a little bit. Paul's saying, guys, I want you to know the power in getting to know Jesus more, in getting to know the riches, the fullness of the riches that you have in him. One of the things that you will discover is that you would would know his power. And again, in the context of this passage, there's two elements to it, two aspects to it. He speaks of his resurrection power and then he talks of his reigning power. First, he says this power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So what happened? What kind of power did God exert when he raised Jesus from the dead? Well, several times in Paul's writings, he talks about the power of Jesus' resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 and 26, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Because he has put everything under his feet. And listen carefully, you've got to get a hold of this. If death is called the last enemy to be destroyed, it means this. That when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, he defeated everything which threatens to defeat you and me today. Jesus has defeated his resurrection power, has defeated everything, every obstacle. And and Paul is saying, guys, I want you to know the power that you have in the resurrection of Jesus. To know anything, anything that threatens to defeat you today, 
that thing in and of itself is already defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. Now, as Abe said this morning, we cannot escape the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. But every enemy has been defeated. In fact, it says in verse 27, God put everything under his feet. Anything which threatens to be over your head is under his feet. And I love that picture of Jesus in the midst of a storm. The disciples are freaking out because this storm is a severe storm. It threatens to swamp the boat. It threatens to overwhelm them. And Jesus comes walking on the water. The very thing that threatened to overwhelm this boat, the very thing that was causing the disciples to fear for their life, Jesus is walking on the top of. And we see this beautifully pictured. Everything that would threaten you is under his feet. So when Paul writes this, he wants us to live with this very real perspective that we are in a spiritual battle, that we face a very real enemy. There are very real threats that come against us, but we live with resurrection power. But he also wants us to know that we live with reigning power in this world. What do I mean by that? Well, verse 19 again. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but the one to come. And friends, we live with attention and we can't deny it. And at times it can be confusing. But we live with the tension of knowing that God is totally sovereign in the world today. We've got to know that. God, you are totally sovereign in the world today. God hasn't forgotten about us. God exercises absolute authority in the world today. But we live with the tension of also knowing that we have a very real enemy. Ephesians 6 and 12 later on, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We can deal with that. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, it's a very real thing. You can't ignore it. If you, if you, if you ignore it, the devil's got you beat. Jesus three times actually calls Satan the prince of this world. 1 John 5 and 19, we know that we were children of God and the whole world is under, under the control of the evil one. And again, this is part of the tension we live with. We're living in a world that is fallen. We are living in a world where evil is active and sometimes even seems to dominate. But there's going to come a day where every expression of evil in the world is totally defeated. Can I hear an amen? The Bible tells us that so clearly. There will come a day when Jesus will step out of heaven and in effect, he'll say, hey guys, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tools down, come this way. 
And at that moment, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is going to come. And at exactly the same time, Satan is going to make his court appearance before God. And before God, he will be judged and eternal, eternally banished to what the Bible calls the bottomless pit. That day is going to come. Jesus, friends, is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God is sovereign. And again, we've got to live with this tension. Because God in his sovereignty has allowed Satan, the prince of this world, a limited measure of freedom for a limited amount of time to do his work. But he's already defeated. Can I hear an amen? And you and I have got to live in a fallen world that does have lots of stuff that goes wrong with it. Lots of things that even happen to us. Bad things do happen to good people. And in a fallen world, we've got to get really, be really, really careful that we don't over-spiritualize everything that happens to us. Luke 13 and 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? All those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. To paraphrase, Jesus was saying to this group who were trying to over-spiritualize these tragedies, these disasters. And Jesus is saying, you know what, guys? Sometimes in this fallen world, stuff just happens. We live in a fallen world. We live in a corrupt world. And sometimes stuff just happens. But then he draws them back to the most important point, the crucial point. But unless you, too, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And here's the lesson from Jesus. Don't get so hung up on what goes on in this world that you miss the critical issue. The critical issue is not how secure you are in this world. The critical issue is how secure you are in eternity. And friends, for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are secure, not in the fact that we keep on living in this world, not in the fact that we don't get damaged, we don't get hurt, we're secure in the fact that in Christ we are eternally safe and we are under an authority that will one day judge and banish everything that is evil and justify that which is right. Have you got it? I'll ask the team to come back. And I'll finish today where we started. What are you praying for? Is your prayer life focused on you? 
or is your prayer life focused on Him? Paul says, you got every spiritual blessing. So here's what I'm praying. Not that you would receive something, but rather that you would know something. I pray, first of all, that you would know Him better. That you would just get to know Jesus better. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff that flows out of that as you begin to understand the riches that you have in Him. That you will get to know Christ and you're getting to know Christ. You will be less concerned when things go wrong because your security is in Him. And in getting to know Christ, you will know the hope that you have in Him. You will know the riches of His glorious inheritance in us. And that you will live your life saying, now I'm available to God for His purpose and His agenda in our world. And that you will know His incomparably great power it's a power that is great there is nothing that you can compare it to that you would know his resurrection power in your life and that you would live in this world understanding his reigning power right now that Jesus our Savior is far above every power and authority that there is is that helpful this morning Let's pray, hey? Father, I pray that you would make these truths so real for us. That through the revelation of your word, our lives would be continually transformed. I pray that our prayer life, God, would be transformed. That the more we get to know you, the more we would understand what we have in you. That we're not just guessing how to pray but that we're driven to prayer, so excited to be able to appropriate that which we come to know we have in You. And God, for every one of us, I pray, revitalise our prayer life. Revitalise our prayer life. Father, that even as we've learned through this lesson today, that we would pray with knowledge, we'd pray with hope, we would pray with an awareness of the inheritance that You have in us and that we would pray understanding the power that we have in You. Father, I pray every single day that our relationship with Jesus would grow richer and deeper. And God, to be real before You, we know we're very human. We have our good days. We have our bad days. We have our disappointing days. But I pray every step of the way we would be growing and maturing in You. Father, we pray all of these things for your glory and for our benefit in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.